Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo 愿皆如来专持意, the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma, in a hundred thousand million eons, is difficult to encounter. Now that I have come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra Lecture tonight. It is April 23rd, Saturday night. We're here in Berkeley, California to explain uh, the next step in our Flower Adornment Sutra, the Ten Grounds chapter. And we start by reciting the name of the Sutra and the name of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, which you'll find on the front cover of your text. So please join me. Namo Please, in your text, to pages 22 and 23. Down at the bottom. 
We're going to start on 22 and then turn over to 24. Yi 随诸邪道随顺抹心我当拔出令住无畏一切至诚好 right, please turn back to page 23 He further makes the following reflection. All living beings travel a dangerous roads of birth and death and are about to fall into the hells, animals, and hungry ghosts. They're trapped by the net of evil views. They're confused by the forest of stupidity. They follow crooked paths and practice upside-down behavior. They are like blind people who lack guides. They think that dead-end roads will lead them out. They enter into the states of demons and are seized by bandits. They accord with the demon's mind and leave behind the Buddha's intentions. I should pull them out of such danger and difficulty and teach them to stay in the fearless city of omniscience. Okay. I think Guohua's kitchen is probably uh, getting close to being done.
Okay. Well, welcome everybody. Um, people will recall, if you've joined us from last time, <clears throat> that we're in the middle of ten reflections that the Bodhisattva makes as he looks out at living beings. Of course, that includes us. And Bodhisattva looks out at living beings, and he doesn't see a happy ending. He sees disaster. And in these ten reflections, he is very uh, clear, very, very overt, not subtle, in talking about what he sees and the bad ends that he predicts for living beings. And ten times over, the Bodhisattva says, therefore, he says, because they're in this bad situation, I should, myself, do something about it. He volunteers ten times because he's being moved by what's going on. Um, the ten paragraphs are remarkably alike. They're, uh, he... He gives a, a, if this was a doctor, he would say they're in stage four. Living beings are in the terminal stage. And then after that, he says, I should do something about it. He says, I should make them, I should, it's, I should, ling means move them, to make it happen, to motivate, to catalyze, to instigate, to, uh, you could even say force, uh, order them. I should make it possible so that they, and of course the Bodhisattva is not, you know, when it gets right down to it, he doesn't have the power to change, to make it happen. He can only inspire. But he can set up all the conditions so that all that we have to do to make happen the change that he wants to have happen is step. We just have to step forward. Um, however, all the action has to come from us, we living beings who, who simply walk through the Bodhisattva's expedience. All right, that's what's going on. Let's look at the actual text. We're on reflection number... One, two, three, four, five, six. We're in number six. He further makes the following reflection. All living beings travel the dangerous roads of birth and death and are about to fall into the hells, animals, and hungry goats. So birth and death is, the Bodhisattva says, is a dangerous road. This is, birth and death is our translation of what in the Sanskrit was probably samsara. S-A-M-S-A-R-A. We've heard that word before. That word has actually come out of Buddhism and gone into popular culture. There are perfumes called samsara. There are movies called samsara. Uh, Shiseido, the Japanese perfumer, makes a samsara perfume. And uh, boy, what a horrible name that is. Because in the Buddhist, um, from the Buddhist perspective, that's called pain. That's just pain. So perfume called pain. Perfume called misery. Put it under your neck and behind your ear. Misery. Double. Squirt, 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 squirt. Suffering. So it sounds exotic 
But as the Buddha describes it, it ain't. It's anything but exotic. But it's places where, at the place that we live, it's, it's the bigger vision, the bigger picture of where anybody who is born in what's called the six-spoked path, the, the wheel of six spokes, the six paths of rebirth, called destinies, rebirths, paths, um, realms, all those words to describe samsara, where we are. He says, all beings walk the dangerous roads of samsara. Samsara means where we come back and stay and go away from and come back to. It's, a, it's, our, um, it's our hotel, and we're always winding up in one room or another of those hotels, sometimes in the basement, sometimes in the executive suite on the top, but we're on that elevator going up and down in that hotel. All living beings travel the dangerous roads of samsara. And he takes it one step deeper, he says. Furthermore, they're in that hotel. They're about to head for the basement. There are three, it's a three-story basement. And the bottom is the hells. The middle realm is the ghost realm. And the first floor of the basement is the animal's realm. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that description is not unique to the Buddha because Hindu worldview talks about similar things, and so did the biblical worldview at one point. Um, I heard at lunch yesterday that Martin Luther, the German theologian of the Reformation who created Lutheranism, from whom Lutheranism was created around him, also believed in reincarnation. It was not a popular view after uh, a reform happened in the early Hebrews tradition, which said, we're not going to talk about that now. And they put the idea of reincarnation aside, keeping only two, heaven and hell. But if you think about it, the idea of going to heaven or going to hell is rebirth. Something goes, something travels. You leave this body and go somewhere else. So it's there, only it's not called reincarnation. If you read along in philosophy, they'll say transmigration. That's another English word that's used to describe samsara, which is a cycle. It's a, to call it a hotel is a really good analogy because the idea of there's an inn where you're going to spend the night because it's, it, it, the sun is setting and it's cold out. There's going to be frost on the ground and you want to get a warm bed. So you go to the inn. You're a traveler. You've left your home. You go to the inn. And you go up to the desk and the clerk gives you a key. You look at that key and say, which way to room 612? And he says, the elevator to the you go where he tells you, and you, that's your room. So samsara, birth and death, is a lot like that. We come back and find out where we've been assigned. Somebody's in charge? Ultimately, yes, we are. Um, which room do we go to? The, uh, the sutras describe, First Door Bodhisattva Sutra, 
describes um, a visit to a judge whose name is King Yama, Yen Lo Wang. And Yama, Yamantaka, the king of the underworld, in fact, there are ten of them, in this, as they're described, appears not only in Buddhism, but in other places too. He judges. However, his function is nothing more than a judge in a civil court who depends entirely on the case that lands on his bench. The judge is not there telling you where you're going before the case is presented, once the case is laid in front of him. And here's the arguments and listens to the jury and keeps it all fair by those scales. Scales of justice. The judge goes, you go there. You go there. Right? Pounds his gavel. And you don't have anything to say about it once the sentence is levied. Beforehand, when the case is being tried, depends on the evidence, but it's still up to you in the end. Now, there are, we won't go to the exceptions directly, there are exceptions that are talked about, but in general, the principle is, the basic principle is that. Uh, when we move, when we get to the elevator of birth and death in that inn, the samsara elevator, um, the key that we're holding, the room that we're going to, is based on our behavior as witnessed by the beings who we hurt or benefit. And then the case is presented and the judge goes, bonk, and you get your key and you live in that room. Till it's time to move. And you come out of that room, go back down to the lobby and get your next key. That's, that's the way it's described. And um, that place where uh, you, the decision is made, where you, where you go for your next rebirth, is described as a very scary place. It's a place of huge anxiety. Because there's a lot at stake. Um, the what does he say? Let's go back to the sutra. So we kind of set that up, right, as, as an inn with an elevator, and you go to the desk and get your key. They're about to fall into the hells, animals, and hungry ghosts. Living beings, he says, are the ones who often get the, the, the triangular keys that are red that go down. You get that key with a red triangle on it, and you go, uh-oh. And the elevator takes you down. You notice there aren't any buttons except, you know, 3, 2, 1, B3, B2, B1. Those are the only buttons that show up in your elevator. You don't have any choice. You don't get to go penthouse up. They are trapped by the net of evil views. They're confused by the forest of stupidity. Ru Again, these images of... Trapped in a net. What's it like being trapped in a net? You can't move. You struggle, but you can't get out. The net nets you. You're netted. It, it covers your hands, your feet, your knees, your elbows. The more you wiggle, the tighter it draws you in. That's what a net does. If you've ever used a net to trap a butterfly or a fish, you know what it's like. 
or a bird. You ever done that? You ever been on the on the, the trapping end of the net? You know what that's like when you get that net on the butterfly. It's not going anywhere. When you net the fish out, you've got it, and it goes flap 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 flap, and doesn't do any good. You got it. You netted it. So then it says, confused by the forest of stupidity, and the Chinese is really clear. It's it says, oh oh, I left half of that analogy out. Why is it a net? It's a net because it is a jin wang. It's a wrong views net. Right? To, to tie that up, I have to make sure you get the Dharma part. What kind of a net is this? It's not a fish net. It's not a butterfly net. It's not a bird net. It's a net of wrong views. What does that mean? That means if we hold on to wrong views, then we might want to go free, but we can't move. Because our wrong views trap us just the way a net does. What would be a wrong view? Um, a wrong view might be something like, um, well, a wrong view would be something like assuming that salvation happens from somebody else that it really doesn't matter what we do, in the end, we've got an in with God. Or some being who's going to cut right through my karma and pull me out. Who held that kind of view? Well, I did for a long time. And the flip side of that is that if there's a creator, if there's some supreme being who can save you, then there might be a way to get around him also. Suppose that God is busy and doesn't notice the lie that I told because he likes me. Think of what kind of wrong views that is. What that leads to is the idea that I can do anything that I want because in the end, I've got the winning, I got the lottery ticket. I got the winning ticket. Well, if you hold that view, it's like a net because it will. that view will definitely lead to irresponsible behavior which weights you down more and more and more. Another kind of view. Here's another kind of view that is um, common. There is a... um, I have friends who got married in Malaysia. And they were Buddhist and wanted the wedding to be uh, clean and full of blessings. That was their wish, was that their wedding would be uh, nothing but blessings. And so they made the uh, announcement that only vegetarian food for their wedding. No meat for the wedding. Now, unfortunately, their entire family was not Buddhist. Their entire family was what's called which is kind of standard generic religious faith in, in the Chinese community in Malaysia. And so they, the elders in the family thought, oh, they're just saying that. What do they know? How cute. We want to give them the good stuff. 
make it a really auspicious wedding. So what did they do when the, the, the couple got there? They found pigs, chickens, and ducks, and yoyu, right? Lots of fish, and all this meat, all these dead things, killed especially for their wedding, to make them happy. And oh, it spoiled the couple's happiness on that day. And the husband, uh, no, it was the wife, the wife, because she knew it was her mother in particular who didn't want to listen to anything the daughter said. So the, the piece, the, the main piece was the pig. The pig was all roasted and whole pig, right? So the daughter came into the banquet, saw the pig, and in her wedding gown, in her, in her reception gown, picked it up and ran it to the window and chucked it out the window. <laughs> and this roast pig went flying through the air, down into the street, and uh, causing quite a stir, of course. You can imagine on your wedding. But from the daughter's point of view, the, this was Jian, Wang. It was a net of wrong views, which was instead of creating the, the blessings that she hoped her wedding would bring for herself, her family, and all living beings, she thought, oh, my wedding is just one more opportunity for upside-down living beings to create deeper karma. So my wedding has brought on suffering for these animals, and it's deepened the wrong views of my family, and it also pissed her off because nobody listened to her wishes on her wedding day. You know, so it's... So there's a, a net of evil views creating deeper burdening of the family and... You know, the girl had to say, yeah, that was my wedding that caused those deaths. So without, I did everything I wanted to do to tell them no, and in my name, on my behalf, they went ahead and killed her. So how is King Yama going to dunk, judge that one? You know, was that your wedding? Yeah, it was, but they didn't do what I wanted. Did you kill, did you have things killed for your wedding? Yes, I did, but they didn't want, you know, uh, complicated case. So, that's a net of wrong views. So, trapped by the net of wrong views. Confused by the forest of stupidity. We talked about being lost in a forest last week and just imagining what that's like as the sun is setting and all the trees start to look alike and you're listening and you can't hear any side and you can't tell anymore where the trail led and you think, oh no, I'm going to spend the night in this deep, dark woods and I, tomorrow morning there's no guarantee I'll be able to make my way out either. I'm lost. What do you do? So the Bodhisattva says, furthermore, they follow crooked paths and practice upside-down behavior. They do things that um, are actually upside-down. That is to say, it's precisely wrong. The things that they do um, are causes of their suffering. Um, I saw I saw the other day um, a very brave man whose daughter 
was killed by a handgun. And the person who pulled the trigger on the handgun shouldn't have been able, it was illegal to get that gun, but he um, (coughs) up the other way around. It was legal for him to get the gun, and yet he was underage, and he, he, somebody else got the gun legally, and the person who killed uh, had acquired the gun illegally because he was too young. And it was a machine pistol, the same kind of thing that, that shot uh, the senator in Arizona. And the, uh, the girl was, was killed brutally by the handgun. And the man who was her father has, against all odds, in the face of incredible uh, resistance, has taken a bill all the way to the Senate um, up against the very, very powerful gun lobby. Gun lobby wants to make it possible for students to carry guns to class now to make it legal for students to carry guns to class so they can be armed and protect themselves. That's the best way, according to these folks, to prevent handgun death. And the, uh, the article talked about how this father has taken this bill uh, very far, and he gets death threats to him, you know, because he's trying to keep people from, from shooting each other, children in particular, And the article said, last year, there were 22,000 deaths ascribed to handguns for people under the age of 21. 40,000 nationwide overall, but 22,000. And you stack that up with other countries that have four or seven handgun deaths a year total. And the U.S., young people, 22,000 young people died, many of them completely by accident, just having some kid crawl in to the closet, a four-year-old, and pull out a gun and shoot someone. So uh, this is a case of called Dian Dao Heng. What's the Dian Dao part? We teach our children how to kill on the TV. I grew up watching this long laundry list of cowboy shows and military shows and cops and robbers TV shows, most of whom involved somebody with a gun killing somebody else. And almost every time, the killing was directly followed by a commercial. So the impact of the actual death was completely invisible to me, the kid, watching and discovering that, being taught by the instructive medium of TV, that it was perfectly okay for me to resolve conflict with lethal violence. Okay, that's the American way. It's uniquely American way. It's not the Canadian way. 
It's not the Mexican way, although Mexico is another story recently. But it's the American way that solving conflict by pulling a trigger, which is very impartial, doesn't take strength or intelligence or skill or gong fu to pull a trigger. I learned by watching that that was okay. In fact, that's what the TV was full of, to the point where my statistics are not up to date, but you've read them all, you've heard them all, that the average child by the age of 15 has witnessed something like, how many, 15,000 violent episodes on TV? Just because that's what we watch. And what does it do? It sells products. It's a commercial medium. And this kind of violence sells products. And it seems very, very difficult to get this off the air. So we teach young people how to kill with weapons, guns in particular. And then we go, gee, how could it happen that 22,000 young people per year die by handgun violence. Oakland alone accounts for 100 plus a year. And Richmond, another. So you go, yeah, that's called, we teach them. Is that dendal? Is it upside down? Yeah. If you don't want, if you want to keep your child, then keep the means out of their hands for killing and also don't teach them how to do it on TV abstracted from the actual experience of having pieces of lead penetrate your body and then the cleanup afterwards, after you splatter somebody's body on the wall, you have to clean it up. You have to wash the mop, the blood out of the mop, and, you know, on and on and on. So it's, it's a very strange world that we have built that we just go, yeah, that's how it is. You know, I, I first learned about that in 1969 when I got to Japan for the first time And it took about three days to realize that I could walk on the streets in Japan any time of day or night without the slightest fear of being shot. Because in Japan at the time, 1969, there were very, 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 very few handguns available. And they were in the hands of the gangsters, the Yakuza, and they were only interested in shooting each other. They didn't shoot civilians very much. But there were very few guns in Japan. And the thought of being shot on the street was so remote that after a while I felt my body change, my shoulders just dropped. I could go out any time of day and night and look at anybody and know that although I was a gaijin, I was a weirdo, and they looked at me a little strange, but there was no threat of death coming to me because I was on the street. And the, the proof of it was got back to San Francisco on actually on a freighter and uh, got to the, the, the police came on board to inspect the freighter and to check us out, check our passports. And immediately I, my shoulders went right up around my ears because here came this big harbor cop weighing about 250 pounds with this hardware on his hip and his chains and his mace and his billy club and his attitude, which was dangerous. And I, my, my animal instantly felt under threat as the enforcer of the law came on board. What you got in there? And he was like, ah. 
you know, save us. As here was this guy with his, right there on his hip was this cherished, treasured power tool. Boom, you're dead. Just like that. And I had been out of that world in Japan. And I thought, I'm back. I'm home. The land of the free and the home of the machine pistol. Oh, my. The home of the defend your right to bear arms. And boy, oh boy, that's the way we do it. And that's, we teach our children, what? That the only way to beat gun violence is to draw quicker, is to have a bigger weapon on your body. And it's like, otherwise you're in risk. How strange, right? That's what we do. That's called dienda. That's really upside down. They follow crooked paths and practice upside down behavior. How come profit is more valuable than human life. Ensuring the bottom line is more important than staying alive. And if it's your child who's shot, like, where do you go? What court will hear your case? You know. So, anyway, that's interesting world that we've made, and that's where we live. This is our society we're talking about. They're like blind people who lack guides. What's a blind person who lacks a guide like? Well, they're tapping on the sidewalk. And hopefully the, the street is equipped with the beep, 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 traffic lights, the bird traffic lights. So they have a clue when they reach the, the uh, curb how much time they have to get across the street. They think that dead-end roads will lead them out. Look at the Chinese on this one. Fei chu chu yao dao wei wei chu yao. Not essential escape, not escape essential path. Say is escape essential. So a non, a dead-end road, they think, will lead them out. doesn't. You gotta stop, you gotta turn around, you gotta go back. Because it's a Fei Chu Yao Dao. It's a road that has no exit. And they think it's gonna lead them there. So what else? Ru Mo Jing Jie. They enter the states of demons and they're seized by bandits. Boy, does that sound grim, doesn't it? Here's the Bodhisattva just giving us this horrible diagnosis of what living beings are really like. But the Bodhisattva knows because he, she, is, is going to get in there with them, saying, dead end road, turn around, don't go there. They enter the states of demons. That is to say, um, depression or anger or um, harm. The state of a demon is a state of harm, as opposed to a state of nurturing, demonic states that are there, uh, what do they say? They're only afraid that the world will not be in chaos. In other words, they want the world to be upside down and harmful. That's a demonic state. Harmful bandits grab them. Evil bandits grab them. Um, Like the kidnapping world uh, in 
at work right now in the world. We don't, we don't hear about it as much. There was a very powerful film. I have forgotten the name. I saw it on a plane about three or four years ago. A depiction of hiring a bodyguard. It wasn't specified whether it was, but it was Latin America. It was either Guatemala or it was uh, Colombia or it might have been Mexico. I'm not sure where it was, but it was, it was, they went ahead and called it a Latin American country, but it's not unique to Latin America. It happens in, in uh, Eastern Europe and it happens in, uh, in, the uh, Middle East as well, called kidnapping. And in the movie, it was it was a very powerful depiction. I know because it was a true story. It was taken from a, a book of of uh, uh, an American diplomat whose daughter was kidnapped. And the thing about it, and who was it? They had hired, who did they hire? Harrison Ford? Somebody. They hired somebody who, who was the... Uh, the bodyguard. And the film was about how he uh, took all the precautions because he was really good uh, at being a bodyguard. And he still got beaten. He still got tricked. Uh, and the kidnappers made off with the daughter and held her for ransom. And, and Quite a powerful film, and it, it wound up being a you know shoot 'em up. But the, the the setup of the story was indelible, as you realized how dangerous it can be to to be uh, grabbed by bandits who see uh, the child of a person of a family with wealth as a source of income. Grab the kid, charge a ransom. Usually, they're paid back. Uh, the standard thing, according to the film, is to pay it. So it's profitable enough that there's all kinds of kidnappers who, uh, who make their living by uh, communicating where the money should be dropped off. And it's very, very scary world. So to be seized by bandits is not, uh, not fantasy, right? And here the Buddha is not necessarily talking about being kidnapped. He's talking about our wisdom, about our body, mouth, and mind being kidnapped by the bandits of the six senses in particular. You can take all of these negative readings, all of these... uh, Symptoms. If you think of this as a medical, the doctor's giving us a prescription, you can take each one of these symptoms and pin it to the state, an internal state that the Buddha's worrying, worrying for us. He's describing for us. What else? We're not done yet. There's a pair, four characters, four characters. They they accord with the demon's mind, and leave the Buddha's intention far behind. They um, might even pay lip service to the Buddha's wisdom, but then they go and behave when he actually gets down to action. They, they do things that Buddhas, Buddhas warn us against. 
That's precisely what they do. And then, okay, that's the end of that. And then, what does he say? Here's our turn. 我当拔出如是贤难, I should pull them out from Rushi, this kind of Xianan, this kind of danger and trouble. Ling Zhu and Ling, there's our word again, make them, cause them, compel them, make it so that they can Zhu, stay in, dwell in, live in, Wu Wei the fearless city of all wisdom or omniscience, the fearless city where you know everything. In other words, Buddha. I should pull them out of this, these places and bring them to Buddhahood. Okay, what a good thought. Do it, says the skeptic. What are you going to do, Bodhisattva, as you try to get these beings back from being kidnapped, get them back from the demonic state of harm, get them back from confusion about dead-end roads, give them a better map. Oh, what are you going to do? Give them eyes when they're blind and following bad teachers, when they're doing things that hurt themselves? What do you pull them out of the forest, the dark forest of stupidity and the net of evil views and the, the hotel of samsara with the elevator that only goes down? You know? Yeah. Good luck, Bodhisattva. What are you going to do? How are you going to make that change? Well, in that turn that concludes each of these reflections, there's a lot going on. Where he says, Where He says, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to bring them out. Um, Michael, would you mind turning on the, the, uh, the furnace? I see people are right at the edge of falling into the uncomfortable room of cold Buddha hall, right? And start to shiver. We're going to start moving towards those blankets pretty quick. We're doing better. It's uh, the end of April and we could come into the evening without the furnace. It's raining outside again. This is really El Nina. Did you hit the save as? Okay, great, thank you. So we're raining in end of April. I got it. Which is good. It's, it all helps the former drought situation. And all too soon, we're going to be sitting in this room thinking, boy, it hasn't rained for a very long time. So appreciate the rain while we have it. But it makes us, this room kind of chilly. So hang on, and we'll have some real heat. Uh, as I was looking at this passage beforehand, I remember um, kind of funny talking about dangerous roads. The uh, um, Marty and I were bowing towards the city of 10,000 Buddhas. And we got to Big Sur, and we were uh, halfway through. Big Sur is 60 miles, and we were halfway up the coast. And we got to the um, Los Padres National Forest, Entrance. We're on Highway One, and you have one choice: Highway One. And there was uh, on our road, uh, on our map, we had a 
uh, a marking. It said, Nascimento Ferguson Road. And Nascimento Ferguson Road could be possibly a shortcut because the map indicated that if we did that, we would wind up in Carmel Valley and it would save us a lot of miles, we thought. So we got to that intersection, Nascimento Ferguson Road, you know, it was 30 miles or 15 miles up and through. And we didn't know whether to take it or not. And I remember Marty was the afternoon because we had to make our decision. If we went that way, we left Highway 1. If we stayed on Highway 1, we were going to go slower and longer. And uh, we also had the thought that the lay people wouldn't be able to find us if they were coming out to make offerings, which is not a small thing. If you're living on, on uh, Ritz crackers and road greens, right? The green plants we can pick and the Ritz crackers that don't, and plastic stacks that don't go soft quite so quickly. And we were. We were eating road greens and Ritz crackers for a while. So um, right at that spot, when we had to decide, and we were leaning towards the shortcut, there was a Caltrans crew that showed up just in the nick of time. And they were grading Highway 1, and we still had to like, go around them and time our bowing because they had about 100 yards of gravel and yellow tape and the, the signboard posts and things. So this old-timer is there, and he's looking at us. He's got his hard hat on, he's looking at us. And Marty says, ah, good. He goes over and says, hi, sir, I wonder if you might give us some advice. We're looking, we've got a crossroad, got to make a decision here. And uh, he looks at us, doesn't say anything. Marty brings a map over. He says, we, we want to know. We go about a mile a day. We're going slowly. And he, could we go up Nascimento Ferguson Road? Will that connect us to Carmel Valley? The guy's looking at us, and he says, yep, you could. And that was that. Yep, you could. Marty says, well, um, what's up ahead on Highway 1? He says, not much. This guy's not very talkative, you know, he's kind of called taciturn, not much. Well, Marty says, what would you recommend, he said. Which direction should we go? And the guy says, well, I guess the answer depends on whether you want to arrive or not. Uh, sir, could you be more specific? He says, Nascimento Ferguson Road, they don't tell you. That's a U.S. Air Force live fire field. That's where they test the jets. He says, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I think we'll take Highway 1. He says, good idea. He says, <laughs> So if we had taken Nascimento Ferguson Road, not to say we would have been shot at, but the U.S. Air Force flies their jets over Los Padres National Forest and tests their machine guns along Nascimento Ferguson Road. Live fire. Probably not a good place to bow. So talk about dangerous roads. Living beings, you know, 
Luckily, that guy was there at the right moment to tell us, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Depends on if you want to get there or not. Okay, well, we do. So as a result, thank you, good and wise advisor. Turn left, you know, go left. So we stayed on Highway 1. Sure enough, it was slow. There wasn't much there, but we got there. So Bodhisattva shows up right at the nick of time to give living beings good advice. Don't take the live fire testing ground. You know, no, don't do that. Firing ground. Firing range for the jets. Less. Let's talk that walk that less. Oh yay, by golly. How about that? Now, um, as I was thinking about this, I thought of the uh, how the Bodhisattva what's it like? I mean, imagine, put yourself in the position of the Bodhisattva. He has, um, the, he or she has certainly the, the ten powers, the ten bodhisattvas, wisdom powers. And they include that one called the power that knows where all paths lead. That's one of the ten li. And when you have that, the power that knows where all paths lead, what that means is, with the first step, you know where it's going to wind up. He can, the Bodhisattva can predict accurately with each step where it's going to go. Because you, you know all the possible outcomes. So with each step that a Bodhisattva takes, the, the, each step the living beings take, the Bodhisattva can go, bad idea, or continue. So to have that wisdom power is quite remarkable. And because of that, the bodhisattva can see as each living being takes, their, takes the step out the door where it's going to go. Can you imagine seeing that and being patient? When you see what's going to happen and you're, all you have to keep them from walking off a cliff is your eloquence and your virtue. If you have virtue, they'll believe you. If you have eloquence, you'll be able to say it in a way they, that makes sense. That's all you have. You can't like stand there and say, don't go this way. Living beings, we will find a way to get there. So as I was thinking about this, seeing the disaster before it starts and knowing that they're going to walk right there, how, hot, how tough that must be if you're the, the bodhisattva. There are people right this minute who are addicted to day trading on the internet. They're addicted to the stock market just as much as people get addicted to methamphetamine. And it's just as dangerous. Um, I know folks who, elders a lot, seniors who are retired maybe, but they've got it in their mind that sitting at the computer they can get rich. And they buy and sell on the stock market all day long. 
and they're as immune to advice as an addict. They might as well be in Reno pulling the handle on the slots for all for the chance that they're going to get rich day trading. It's such a deal in Taiwan now that the stock market analysts are on TV. They have their own cable channels. And they advertise that they have psychic power. That's how they distinguish themselves one from the other. Is so-and-so has Shantong, and his portfolio, he's got an in on the stocks. And these guys show up on TV dressed really snappy with this fast line, you know, and they're just like preachers on Sunday morning because they hook you by your faith and tell you the stocks to buy. And there's thousands of people across the island, I know about Taiwan, I don't know about other places, who turn that stuff up loud and sit at their computer hoping to get there first to buy and to sell. And, of course, that takes capital. They have to get money. They liquidate land. They sell land to get more money to buy more stocks. And they lose and lose. And somehow that, that connection between the expert on TV who's there loudly telling them what to buy and the clicking of the mouse that goes by, that link right there is the place where the mischief happens. Well, he said it was the hot stock. I watch so-and-so. He's never wrong. Oh, really? Well, you don't know my expert. I have another one. You should watch this one, says their friend. Right? And it's a world of influence and inside secrets and quick action and it results in loss. I have friends whose elderly parents have emptied their bank accounts, sold land that has been in the family for generations in order to get more money before the big crash, right? There's an urgency because it's going to crash, you know that, but currently it's still there's still floating. And they lose all their money. It happened just in 98. So many people lost it all. It happened back in, when was the, the Asian Tigers crash? That was, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when everybody lost overnight? And it's going to happen again. But they're out there doing it. And maybe some of you have relatives who are doing, who are doing the day trading on the Internet. Because why? You don't have to leave your living room and you can get rich. Easy money. Guaranteed. Stock market. Right? It's coming to China faster and faster and faster. It hasn't been in China because people didn't have the means. Now they big time have the means. And the stock market, the same sharks who are ripping money off of Taiwan are doing it in, in China. So, by golly, there's an example of what? Trapped by the net of evil views, confused by the forest of stupidity, blind people who lack guides, think dead-end roads will lead them out, and 
they get poor. Taiwan is a world right now where everyone wants the signs of wealth, conspicuous consumption, and that counts a lot. And so to get that, they'll gamble a lot. Um, Gambling is definitely a disease. And the people who are hooked by the gambling disease, very, very hard to, to shake out of it. It's an addiction. So, my goodness, um, that would fit directly into the description of, of our sutra here. Folks who um, just uh, take bad advice and risk it all and lose. The Bodhisattva sees that disaster before it starts and goes, Oh no, there they go again. Oh no, there they go again. I should pull them out of such danger and difficulty and teach them to stay in the fearless city of omniscience, says the Bodhisattva. So he, she rolls up her sleeves and starts to work. Boy, oh boy. What did we do with our money before you could buy and sell stocks on the internet? Did we, was it Da Jia Le and Liu He Cai? That was big in Taiwan. You had to use your telephone to get the numbers. Okay, so here's the sutra telling us, hey, this is what we do, isn't it? Says the sutra. This is what we do. Okay. Should we go forward? Head on down to the next reflection? Can you stand it? Having the Bodhisattva <laughs> hold this mirror up to us and going, <gasps> Who's he talking about? Not me. Let's do it. Yo zuo shi nian yi qie zheng sheng wei da pu shui bo lang su mo Ru Yu Liu Yo Liu Wu Ming Liu Jian Liu Sheng Hui Fu Ai He Piao Chuan Tuan Shi Ben Ji Wu Xia Guan Cha Wei Yu Jue Hui Jue Hai Jue Sui Zhu Bu She Shen Jian Luo Cha Yu Zhong Zhi Ju Jiang Qi Yong Ru Ai Yu Chou Lin Yu So Tan Ai Shen Sheng Ran Zhao Zhu Wo Man Yuan Fu An Liu Chu Ju Luo Wu Shan Jiu Zhe Wu Neng Du Zhe Wo Dang Yu Bi Qi Da Bei Xin Yi Zhu Shan Gen Er Wei Jiu Ji Ling Wu Zai Huan Li Ran Ji Jing Zhu Yu Yi Che Zhi Hui Bao Zhou He further makes the following reflections. All living beings are swallowed up in the great torrent's waves. They enter the flow of desire, the flow of existence, the flow of ignorance, and the flow of views. They revolve in the whirlpool of birth and death, they toss and turn in the river of love. They're carried away by the flood and have no leisure to contemplate. They follow after desire, hatred, harming, and don't give them up. In the midst of that, they're seized by the rakshashas of the view of a body. 
They're about to enter forever the forest of attachment towards what they love. They dwell in the fertile plain of pride. They settle in the town of the six places. They have no wholesome savior. They have no one to rescue them. I should have thoughts of great compassion towards them and use all my good roots to rescue and save them. So they have no calamities or disasters, so they leave defilement, find peace, and dwell on the jeweled island of omniscience. <clears throat> We've seen the, the pattern. This is the same uh, style of reflection, and it's the bodhisattva. looking at living beings and shaking his or her head, just kind of like a doctor who watches the spread of a virus, the spread of a plague, and sees it coming, sees it happening, and then just tells the story. Further makes the following reflection. All living beings are swallowed up in the great torrent's waves. They enter the flow, that could be river, liu, it's a flood or a rushing torrent. They enter the flow, the river of desire, the river of existence, the river of ignorance, and the river of views. They revolve in the whirlpool of birth and death, and toss and turn in the river of love. They're carried away by the flood and have no leisure to contemplate. So this is all um, water images. Swallowed up in the great torrents waves. Talking about drowning. Um, water still kills many people every year. It's a, an alien, hostile environment for air breathers like us. We have lungs. We need air. We don't have gills. We can't breathe underwater. And so water will kill us if we fall in it and aren't able to uh, make our way to the surface to breathe. And a great torrent's waves. That's like a huge river, a flood. We've had pictures of the tsunami in our consciousness. You've seen that. Those incredible... This time it happened in Japan... Uh, and the Japanese make Sony cameras and Panasonic cameras and Iwa cameras and Fujitsu cameras and so Nikons. And so we got to see that flow came and it started to come over the top of the dike and the barrier and then it, and people were standing. I've seen probably half a dozen of those, the most terrifying ones where the first it doesn't look like much. It just looks like something moving. And then you're looking out over a parking lot with six-story buildings. And, and then it starts to take the cars. And then it starts to take the smaller buildings. And then it takes the bigger buildings. And then there's nothing but this plain of water. You seen those? YouTube has got them. They're... They're the end of the world for the folks who are there. And the ones you wonder about, the ones taking the movies, that they have to be on solid ground. And many of them, they just they start to run. And they're going up higher on, on rock or an outcropping. And then when they're done, 
where used to be buildings and streets and cars and stoplights and there's just this dirty torrent, sludgy water. All living beings are swallowed up in the great torrent's waves. They enter the, the river, this liu, yu liu, you liu, wu ming liu, qian liu. Those are, that's a list. That's one of the, the Buddha's most powerful lists. He calls them the four violent floods. Si zhong bao liu. And they're floods or torrents. They're also called raging torrents sometimes. The, um, just like the, um, the tsunami waves, these four things wash us away. Yu, desire, is like a flood washing us away. Yo, existence, and that would be samsara, again, places where we come back to life. You don't refuse to be born again. You, we are born again. Wu Ming, ignorance, is likened here to a flood. And Qian, our points of view, the way we see things, which we refuse to change. Those are called the Si Bao Liu. Four kinds of violent torrents, floods, that carry us away. Sheng Si Hui Fu Ai He Piao Zhuan Tuan Shi Ben Ji the um, see how I'm doing here. Good. All right. These um, four torrents carry us away. And, you know, what is this? This is a religious scripture. Here's, this is a Buddhist text. This is a, the holy book. And the holy book continues to give us this picture of our lives that is not happy. <laughs> I mean, is the Buddha depressed? What's wrong? Why is he stuck on this? Why don't you say something happy? Well, here we are in the second ground, and the Bodhisattva has just finished telling us about the ten goods and the ten evils, right? We heard about those, the ten goods and the ten evils. And he, uh, from, that, from that point, describing them, said, um, there are two kinds of retributions that happen if you do the ten evil deeds. And from there, he said, boy, I really want to stay in the fragrant garden and grove of the ten good deeds. He mentioned that, you know, a couple weeks ago. And then he launched into these reflections. That's what I want to do. But you know what? Living beings do this. That's what launched into these reflections. We're looking again at the Bodhisattva's mind as he sees... People who are what? Potential Buddhas. People who are what? Happy souls. People who are content and full and virtuous and kind and wise, compassionate beings who could spend their time, their lives, their energy, their hands, their minds doing good deeds, benefiting others. 
helping out, making pain stop in the world. But what do they do? We don't. We do the following reflections, says the Bodhisattva. So that's where this comes from. He's he painted, you know, the choice A, and then gave us brand X because that's where we go. And uh, this list is really painful. He says, what are we? We're swallowed up and washed away by desire, by existence, by ignorance, and by viewpoints. Then he says, the whirlpool of birth and death, swirls us around. We toss and turn. We toss and turn in a river of love, just chasing it, chasing it, chasing it, and winding up right back where we started. What else? Carried away by the flood. Because we're washed away, we never get a chance to see what we're about, to take a look at. We don't see it. We don't recognize where we are. Okay, by golly. There it is. Um, I was looking, thinking about all this, and this is so different from our um, standard, um, the standard kind of sutra text where when I go down to uh, Gold Sage these days, we're talking about the Sutra Golden Light, and ooh, the Sutra Golden Light is talking about, you know, the end of the path, Buddhahood, the Dharma body, transformation body, the reward body, all this incredible wisdom the Bodhisattva has, and talking about Prajna Dharma, and it's, it's, it stretches everybody's mind to follow it because it's so lofty and vast and perfect and pure and, and esoteric. It's really out there. <laughs> we come back to the Avatamsaka. Here's the Avatamsaka saying, living beings are washed away by a flood of desire, of existence, of views. Ah. Oh, living beings are just pathetic. And then, even so, I'm going to save them, says the Buddha. Pretty astounding. So I thought, what is this like? I thought, imagine if we tried to put this into a contemporary context, what would it be? Um, let's do this. Let's dedicate merit first, all right? We're going to end at nine tonight. Let's, let's, let's dedicate merit and then take the text in another direction, right?
May all become 